clubhouse. You know I'm dry. And it's, it's creating a lot of problems. Like murdery guys coming around my place, threatening me. Why don't you just give me these, okay? No, Allison, you can't do this. The thing is, I think I can. Turns out I'm actually good at doing terrible things to people who deserve what's coming to them. It's not that hard. It's just like giving karma a little push. And no one deserves what's coming to them more than that. All I have to do is just spike the next disgusting meal he makes me make for him and, and just, just watch his breathing slow down until it stops. And then I'm free, Patty. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Kevin Kim Podcast himself, your unofficially official after show podcast dedicated to AMC's newest series, Kevin Kim Fuck Himself. Tonight we're talking about episode five. We're already past the halfway point of the season. Uh, we're discussing the episode was called New Patty or Two Patties, depending on who you ask. In, in getting screeners for this email, I received two different emails from AMC. One called it New Patty, which is what the screener was called. Okay. The other email, the PR email that went out to the public, called it Two Patties. And it's also how it's listed on IMDb. So I don't know. I think either work, New Patty or Two Patties. I will accept both of them. Much like Alex Trebek, God rest his soul, <laughs> either answer is acceptable. We've asked the judges. <laughs> so tonight's episode was written by Tom Sharpling and directed by Anna DeCoe. So she's going for a double block. The way AMC does their shows often is they do block shooting. So they tend to bring on directors for two episodes at a time because it allows them to shoot out of order things if they know they're going to have for like multiple episodes. So they only need one set for like the two episodes. They'll shoot them like all so stuff maybe got shot for like episodes four and five at the same time on like the Bev's Diner set for us, let's say. Okay. Um, and that's one of the benefits of using the directors in, in block shooting where they get two episodes back to back. Here, Ms. Dakoza is going for this is going to be episodes five and six that uh, she is around for. So she will have done the entire middle section at least of the uh, Kevin episodes. Exciting. You know, Mike, one of the things that has been coming up recently is that people are finally starting to notice the title cards and starting to say, what does it mean? What does this one mean? Did you guys notice this? And this one has the red lipstick kiss over the F-U-C-K. Was that towards because of Allison and Sam? Was that because of Patty and Kurt? Was that because of the stolen lipstick? I think it has multiple meanings. I think it could work in many. Just like we figured out that the burnout last time could definitely have been the cigarette in the model's face on the washing machine ad. Or it could mean like a burned, you know, contact for the drug line. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, I think the drug train, the drug line, the pipeline. The drug train, whatever the, you call it. The chugga chugga chugga. 
pipe. Drug, it's drug. A, it's Olympics time. I don't know. <laughs> it's the pipeline. It's the it's the drug, the drug pipeline. There you go. That works. That works. That New England drug pipeline that you know it runs through Patty O'Connor's <laughs> living room. I'm glad that people are starting to notice some subtleties like that because I think that it's those things that really just show how thoughtful this show really is. For sure. And one of the things that we started talking about last week, it was something you and I have been talking about since the show began, but we, we started clocking last week. And so I clocked it again this week was the sitcom usage and how much of the episode it takes up and, and how they use the sitcom. I think every episode to date, the first four all began in the living room in the sitcom setting. This episode picks right up at the end of Live Free or Die, at the end of episode four, with Patty and Allison in the car, right after Allison said that she's going to kill Kevin. It doesn't go to the sitcom setting until seven minutes and 30 sec- 36 seconds into the episode. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. It's a tongue twister and also like a really big change for how the show tells its story. But I think it it also is indicative of how much we are really all in on the Alice and Patty plot. Like they had to get right back to that. I'm proud of them for that because it also is that juxtaposition against a sitcom where nothing ever changes and you never pick up with what happened last. And so by starting this episode right with exactly where we left off last, it reminds us that at least half the show is going to continue to develop and is not going to be that, you know, start over every time. We should be getting the idea that Kevin's name is in the show title and Kevin and and Neil and Pete appear in a lot of the episode, but it's actually really not about Kevin. It's really actually about Allison and Allison and Patty and and these two women, you know, learning to go through the world together and helping each other. Yeah, no, I think I I think that that's Very well established. Uh, So 12 minutes and 58 seconds of the episode was spent in the sitcom plot of a total runtime of 42 minutes and 55 seconds. It felt better this time to me. I felt like we spent more time with Allison and Patty and less time with Kevin and the gang. Even though stuff was going on with them, it was much more clipped. Like it was like you just get like a quick shot in the bar or a quick shot in the living room or a quick shot where they came in post, you know, paintball, those kinds of things. But it was just fast. It was more dropping in on them and less like the escape room where we were like with them the whole time. The consequences of what was happening in the sitcom world didn't really bleed over into what Allison and Patty were doing. Not really. There was interaction with Patty. Obviously, she gets excommunicated from the church of Kevin at the start. And then at the end, she tells off she's the only one with balls enough to tell off new Patty, Patty Milt, uh, and makes him leave. But the inner sections of all that, it was all kind of self-contained. It wasn't like Kevin calling Allison or Neil calling Patty from the bar. So it, t- it didn't take the air out of that storyline. So that makes sense how, how you're describing it. However, this was the first time where I felt like there was hints that it was going to with all of the Kevin being all, you know, like, I know what you were doing, that kind of stuff. Speaking to the drama side, it like spoke to the other storyline, if you will. So instead of him calling in, it was like they were in the sitcom setting having to talk about the drama side. Sounds maybe like a technical difference, but I think it's a huge difference. I think it's a big difference. I think it's a major thing for this insular sitcom bubble of of that's governed by the Church of Kevin, that's what Pete said, mm. uh, to be affected by outside forces in any kind of real way. And I think that's the difference. It's, it's one thing for Kevin to be causing ripples in Allison and Patty's outside world. It's a whole new thing for us to see Allison and 
Patty bringing their stuff into the sitcom world and causing real ongoing consequences. Not like the hoodie. Like, she she steals the hoodie, which propels that entire storyline, but... Kevin's not putting Allison like on the carpet kind of thing in the same way as it's happening here. And Allison and, and Patty are making eyes at each other, right? That was something they talked about the yeah. ATX panel. Yeah, I appreciated that a lot that we were getting that payoff so quick from the ATX panel, which we just talked about last week. I mean, that was like, ooh, like already they're, we're already starting to see it. That was very exciting. You guys haven't even heard that panel. It's actually going to be out. Yeah, it's coming out like to, tonight, hopefully. <laughs> Probably before you hear this episode, That's but funny. not as of the time that we're recording this episode. <laughs> but what's cool about that is we talk about in that panel about the where the women are are situated in the room and in this episode Allison is sitting on the couch right in the middle of the room Patty actually stands and speaks to all of them in more in the middle of the room so we're starting to see that change about where they are they're not just they're not just hanging around the periphery you guys have to go over and listen to day 10 of our ATX pod clubhouse press pass coverage because that one has all the details for for the for the panel and they just gave so much like great insight into just those types of like semantics you know just before we get into the good meaty stuff can we deal with the sitcom plot not that i definitely don't want to recap it but a couple of things happened that i thought were interesting beyond the church of kevin thing which that whole excommunication and kevin is not only the head of his household but the head of the church is super gross but really consistent with the world that they've set up right well and the way that they wove in this concept of church and the bible with Pete too. I mean, I, I I was like, whoa, we're actually kind of bringing a little like religion up in here, but I mean, lightly, but it's here. I, I'm really wondering the tropiness of that because you know we have Pete laughing about when revelation. he's like revelations, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what is this? Or just that Pete was like, I'm gonna sit back and read the Bible, and nobody like. I honestly thought it was a joke. I honestly thought when he said, I'm going to stay home and read the Bible, they were going to be like, oh, yeah, dad, sure, sure. Like, I I thought he was being funny. Or like it would be like a nudie magazine or something like that. That's what I mean. Like, I thought it was going to be like a gag. But when he was actually sitting and reading the Bible, I was like, "Okay." Pete was all sorts of interesting in this episode because he actively rebels against the edict of Kevin to bring the new Patty into the group. He's not on board with him at all in any way, shape or form. He rejects him at every turn, including not even going to play paintball with him. He, he's he's making snarky comments about how the guy's a psychopath. He calls him Travis Bickle. I know. I caught that. I loved that. I was like, that was feeling outside of a sitcom norm. I was like, I'm really wondering, Mike, is this the mean that Pete is starting to break a little bit out of the sitcom, the umbrella that they have over these guys where like he actually seems to have a little bit different personality. And is willing to be different. He doesn't always have to go with the gang. He doesn't. He doesn't. And, you know, almost this is the first time that he really felt like a father, you know, the way he was talking to Kevin and just kind of asserting himself. He was definitely judgmental about that paintball game. Uh, new Patty, uh, you know, uh, intimidated the guy to leave the bar. And then Pete, under his breath, says, yeah, the big knife that he took out and brandished, I'm sure, had something to do with it, too. Yeah, he was being very, like, like judgmental about everything. It almost made me feel like when he was reading the Revelation, the the, the book of Revelation, which is, guys, not a funny book. Pete, Pete has got a warped sense of humor. I, it was such a situation that I think I thought if Allison or Patty had walked in on him, we would have gotten 
not maybe a drama setting. That's almost how it was feeling in this episode, that the sitcom world wouldn't maybe wouldn't extend if Patty and Allison was interacting with Pete one on one, which we've never seen. You know, we said at the very beginning, I don't remember if it was episode one or two, where I was like, I wonder how many other people will join them in the drama side. And Pete was the one that you and I had identified as like, if anything, Pete seems like the one. And we had said maybe for a health issue that he would end up, you know, having like a heart attack or stroke or something was going to happen. That was going to pull where all of a sudden we were going to be seeing this from a single camera, you know, drama kind of look. We, I, I, my eyeballs on Pete. I'm doing my like two, uh, you know, how do you, what do you call that thing where you like look at your own eyeballs and then look at the other person's eyeballs? Oh, where you like, you point, point you, you point at your eyeballs. <laughs> I'm doing like, that at Pete. It's the, uh, <laughs> I'm watching you. That's, uh, I'm watching you. I'm doing you, that Pete. at Pete because like I think Pete's got something more going on with him. This new Patty, what did you think of this moment of actually bringing in this, this new character for this episode? I mean, it felt like a real sitcom trope. Again, for a second week in a row, I feel like they really nailed and told a very concise sitcom episode story in literally half the time that we'd even get a regular sitcom story. This felt like a complete, you know, story. A, B, and C were all there. Uh, old Patty gets thrown out. New Patty is recruited. New Patty is a psychopath. Old Patty has to kick him out. I, I thought it was kind of funny. Like when he says in the bar, I don't order off the menu in life either. I laughed. I thought it was funny. I was like, that's, that, that's, that's kind of fun. I, I kind of like that guy, even though he's being super intense about his Patty Belt nickname. Can I tell you, this is terrible, but I, for a minute, I thought it was Nick for like the first five seconds. No, Until yeah, he me too. talking and he, and he said his name was Patrick and everything. I thought, oh my gosh, is this Patty's our original Patty's life bleeding into the sitcom life. Is this guy going to come and infiltrate the guy gang and somehow get involved with them? I really thought it was Nick until I was like, oh, Nick doesn't have a goatee or any facial hair. Like, it took a hot minute for me to realize. I, I did too. And I was like, oh, maybe it's his brother. When you, when you realize uh, Nick is actually played by Robin Lord Taylor, which if anyone ever watched Gotham, uh, oh. he played Penguin or Oswald Cobblepot in Gotham. Because wow. as, soon as, as soon as he started to talk, I was like, oh my god it's penguin but he looked a different enough that it wasn't like quick he was my favorite part of gotham i love him uh i love him as an actor i loved his roles there there's a sweetness about him usually that was so absent here uh, you know maybe not so when he was talking to detective ridgeway it's so odd because you're i mean he was definitely foreboding i mean i was right. scared of nick right i mean right. him standing there in the in the shadows he was a scary dude but you're right that somehow i mean i he was engrossing like i wanted to know what he was going to say next I, well, I was paying attention it was a little bit of eddie haskell though right so he's he's yes. being menacing and threatening to patty but then tammy ridgeway comes in detective ridgeway comes in and he's like no mrs ridgeway i'm keeping my nose very clean yeah yes very eddie haskell very you know and then as soon as she's gone he's like yeah, i'm gonna get you which the, <laughs> the whole funny thing is though that if you ever look, go look at interviews with robin lord taylor watch gotham he's a psychopath penguin is a psychopath if anyone knows batman but there is a sweetness and a fragility about Robin Lord Taylor that it was chilling to see him in this role because it's really a way that I've not seen him or think of him in my head. What was kind of like, you know, compelling for me was that the the character who, again, I thought was Nick, but turns out to be New Patty.
Scotty. He also kind of had that other side to him where he was a sitcom villain. He had this like silliness factor him where he was like menacing, yes, but he was also not. I don't know when he was like, see you in five to seven. And it was like kind of silly, like, dun, dun, dun. like, I don't know. It wasn't bad. And he left like he was like, oh, I didn't mean to be like, you know, mean or anything. Like it was all so not harmful at all. It wasn't any big deal. I don't it, it surprised me. Like I was like, oh, yeah, we're in the sitcom side. He he can't actually be scary. Right. Even when he's making, you know, abusive mannequin jokes. Right. It still has to have right. a, wah, wah, you know, kind of feel <laughs> yeah. to it. If, I mean, he like steals. Right. And then Pete goes to say something and Kevin puts his arm across his chest like, no, no, just let him take it. <laughs> yeah. That was really funny when he just started gathering his things and then also just took other tchotch keys from the table. <laughs> he's like, this one is convenient. I'm going to put this. I want this now, too. This is mine it's now. Funny. Uh, yeah, it sounds like he's almost like a villain you'd see in like an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Yes. You know? He is like a goofy villain. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, really funny to put up against this Nick character who we could see could do some real harm to Patty. So we're in episode five. We're, we're on the back end of the of the show now. And we finally get the sitcom setting outside of the house. Did it feel weird it did feel odd i mean i was thrown off kilter to see them at the bar i in and they acted odd when neil was feeling invisible at the bar and and he just wasn't really feeling himself and and pete didn't really seem like himself either everybody seemed off kilter you know like they were feeling the same as us like why are we why are we here the neil comment talking about you know am i invisible where the bartender is standing literally right next to him and just doesn't even acknowledge him and he says he feels invisible it really made me think i was like you know god again and and thinking about Neil in a different way than we have thought about him because of what we learned in last week's episode. Man, like Neil is the Allison of Kevin's world when Allison isn't accessible to Kevin. They're almost interchangeable people in a lot of ways for Kevin. I, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting comment for, for him to use that specific word, invisible, a word we've heard Allison use so often. The other part, too, was that they frequently talk about Allison being small and little and delicate. And they talk about, like, of course, you're being cold. And Neil points out that he's so big, that he's physically very big, but he's scared of this guy. And when he says that and he says, and I'm very big, it was almost like a Sesame Street moment where you're like, see, this one's small and scared and this one's big and is scared like you can be big and small and still be scared it also went to that conversation we've been having about there's no gender for being the allison you can be neil and be an allison and you and you don't have to be a little meek man you can be a big man and be an allison for 100 percent. another line they didn't even need to put it in there and it would have been as funny or not as funny uh, depending on how you saw it it didn't affect it but it was a line they threw in there and it ended up having you know adding a certain level of complexity to it which i always appreciate because you asked it last week and it made me think that it's a good idea to think about so that we don't get into the habit of just shitting on the sitcom portion always and and to recognize when something works and doesn't work were there parts of the sitcom plot section of the show that you enjoyed or made you laugh or you thought really worked well calling back over to the drama side and playing with that a little bit did actually make me more interested in the sitcom side. So being like, I know what you've done. I know where you've been. That worked for me. That actually drug me into the sitcom portion a lot. It's very sitcom tropey. And I think it's one of the sitcom tropes of the episode this week is the husband accuses the sitcom wife of knowing what she did, you know, thinking he's got all the clues. And so the sitcom wife feels like maybe she's been like caught. And it turns out it's about something completely other than 
what she thought it was going to be. And it's usually something very stupid, like the Top Dog Burger. And of course, it wasn't that he did all of the work. Again, Kevin showing that he's got some level of intelligence, does all of the work to map out distances and how far they went for the Beauty Expo and then drove to a Top Dog Burger, but doesn't... but only goes as far as his selfishness where you didn't bring one home for me. You know, he he's never going to go the step that like Kurt took it to when he got that same information because Kurt actually does have a functioning brain and, and uses it. But Kevin has got a malicious intelligence that he uses well to serve his own selfishness. I thought this episode was great at that. Particularly, I found the conspiracy board really funny. I think when people bring up conspiracy like murder boards with red strings, it always makes me laugh. It was definitely funny when they were like, I love it when Kevin murders she wrote. And then and then he was like, I have the same hair because we've been like ragging on his hair that it's like so got a, a whole life of its own up there. It's got such a life all, all on its own. <laughs> it probably has its own contract for the show, maybe its own trailer. <laughs> But I like that they break the conspiracy board out in the beginning, and then they they did a callback to it, and then it was upside down, like all of that, all that kind of like you know, like <laughs> very dad jokey. It appealed to the very dad joke ness that lives inside of me, so I like that stuff. It was also cool for this first time to have it be where Patty was like ribbing Allison during the sitcom portion, and Allison kept saying "Hey," and Patty would say "Sorry," like you know, like that kind of thing. Like where they again were like completely exposing the fact that they obviously have more of a relationship. Because because Allison's calling her out and she's actually saying sorry over and over again. This is such payoff for that panel that like we are seeing it happen. The boys are still so caught up in their own selves. They're not picking up on that yet. How did you feel about the whole thing where Patty was sitting on the couch and at first it looks silly and funny. And then you kind of realize that they were sort of like holding Patty there it, it, like handcuffs on the couch until Allison came in for Kevin to accuse both of them. And then there was that secondary section of like, it reminded me of Jack Frost that we just did about where it's one thing, I guess, for a husband to accuse his wife of something, but it felt really like a different situation when he's like turned on Patty. I don't know why that feels so weird to me, but but what we were talking about last week about it's, it's one thing to have something constantly affecting the wife within a relationship. And then suddenly when like a friend is now getting abused in front of your eyes, how there's something about this that now feels so much bigger, like it got out of the cage or something. Very much so. Nothing about that made me laugh. It troubled me because of how I view the sitcom section of the show. Uh, sitcom as run by like Sideshow Bob. It, it, it's all it's all this malicious, insidious content wrapped in a uh, a laugh track. You know that's what like Annie Murphy said during that panel. I see all of that now. So when the episode starts and she's being physically restrained by these big guys, weight and height wise, you know, bigger than her, sitting on her, holding her down, essentially holding her in. I didn't think that was funny at all. It made my stomach kind of like tighten. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't. So that's the thing. I didn't even take it like that. Not at first. I had my sitcom eyes on. So I thought they were playing some stupid game. Like, you know, one of those things where you have to like unlock your hands out of like a thing without letting each other's hands go like some sort of silly ass thing. That's what I honestly thought. No part of me went to they were restraining her until when she came in and Kevin started like pointing fingers and they like both got up away from Patty. And I realized that, 
oh, they were like holding her down. Putting it in the sitcom frame tricked me. Like I didn't see it for what it was. Only because she had like a panic look on her face. She didn't have like a like a we're tussling even or even horsing around kind of look on her face. I have to give Mary Hollis a lot of credit. This is the second week in a row now where I'm making a comment about something she's doing. And when I get down to it, it's actually her facial reactions that mm-hmm. are are giving me all the cues. And that's I, she's selling it. I For me, it made my stomach tighten because the look on her face. I was like, that is not someone enjoying what is ever being done to her because I'm already suspicious of every time we're in the sitcom world. I, you know, I, I think I'm not giving it the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Good on you. I'm still, I'm still tricked. I was really happy that they started this episode right at the end of the sentence where Allison says she's going to kill Kevin. Were you surprised at Patty's response or did you have any other response in your mind that was possible? I mean, it seems really on brand for Patty where she is with Allison in this, in this kind of limbo. She didn't start screaming, but I think it revealed the theme for Patty in this episode when it came to Allison is that she doesn't really take her seriously. The thing she says in the car is, you know, you're just having a time. You're like wallpaper, dot, 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 in the nicest way possible. There's no nice way to call someone wallpaper. No, I think that when she said that, I physically winced. I cannot imagine saying that to someone. That's that's really cruel. You know, if we're willing to give her the benefit of the doubt, which again, I going back in like the sitcom where like I think that's crappy when she says, Oh, reflex. I think that's so lazy to to blame that. It's it's a lazy excuse to be, oh, it's just what I'm used to doing. Come on, be better. Yes, I understand in a sitcom setting, that's what you say. But no, you have to be better than that. And I feel like the same kind of thing, like she's just she's being really condescending to Allison by not giving her credence, by not taking her seriously she's disrespecting Allison and making Allison continuing to feel invisible, I think, because it's not until later when she says, you know, maybe you can go through with this. And Allison, like, she does this great little, like, hand clench thing where she says, I will go through with it. You know, she just wants to be taken seriously, for fuck's sakes. And that's something, like, Patty kind of denies her for most of this episode. It was great picking up right where last episode left off, because that was super dramatic. And remember, Patty rocked on her heels. This opening allowed her to kind of snap right back into her traditional patty role so that, how about you was, was, did it play out the way you thought it would play out in your head i think it was predictable that the other person you know when you say something outrageous says like no you couldn't do that and it is very common maybe for all people to downplay you know when someone is saying something so outrageous you'd be like oh you're just going through a rough patch you're just having a hard time that all seems right on like they're nailing those conversations as as what they sound like i can't say that i've ever had anyone tell me they were going to kill someone but certainly saying very outrageous things about what they were going to do and and me being like okay take a breath you know that kind of thing like like you don't really mean that you just feel bad right now and you know what it reminded me of what's that handmaid's tale when june goes to see fred for, and she gets back in and she's talking to luke and he's driving and she says just you know nonchalantly very casually says i'm gonna put him on the wall mm-hmm. and luke starts kind of sputtering oh just let it go blah 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 you know, this and this and that she she doesn't react she doesn't take his bait she just says nope gonna put him right on the fucking wall you know because allison here she listens to patty say you're not serious and, and talk her down from the nonsense from the you're having a time stuff and she you know she just decides to drop it she says you know what i'm just having a time she's not ready to engage yet 
and try and convince Patty that she's being deadly serious here. It was a nice play between the two of them, but in the end, I don't think it really resolved anything. I said I think it was just like a like an opening salvo between them, and it put it back on the shelf until later in the episode. It's stepping stones, though. It's what has to happen. You have to have that conversation in order to like get it out of the way. You know, like we've had the this is no big deal. You're not really going to do it. You can't handle the truth kind of thing. You've had that conversation out. That allows the next conversation to move forward. Uh, yeah, think back to Handmaid's Tale. Do not say any more. Spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> Other people aren't ready to listen to all that yet. If you want to know more about Handmaid's Tale, head over to Escaping Gilead, where you can listen to all the things you want to know about Gilead over on Pod Clubhouse. Quit talking about it. <laughs> What's your reaction to the kitchen conversation? Uh, and I do want to play for you this karma clip because you are a karma person. Uh, and I'm curious how you think Allison is interpreting karma here. Let's play the, that clip right here. You know I'm dry. And it's, it's creating a lot of problems. Like murdery guys coming around my place threatening me. Why don't you just give me these Okay? okay. No, Allison, you can't do this. The thing is, I think I can. Turns out I'm actually good at doing terrible things to people who deserve what's coming to them. It's not that hard. It's just like giving karma a little push. And no one deserves what's coming to them more than that asshole in the living room. And I have the pills. And all I have to do is just spike meal he makes me make for him and, and just just watch his breathing slow down until it stops and then I'm afraid Patty she is now seeing seeing herself almost like a vigil ante I am just serving up justice there is no, it's out of my hands I didn't do the crime I can't help it this is just it's what needs to happen and other people are not going to do it so I've got to do it she is just short of saying you know it's for the greater good that Kevin oh, McRoberts yeah. dies like she hasn't said that yet but it's it's it hangs it's heavy right in there. every sentence that she says listening to Allison talk about killing Kevin the until his breath slows and then he dies that surprised me that was pretty ghouly yeah it was super dark and there are times Allison talks about killing Kevin where it feels like to me she's trying to prove it to herself and to Patty that it's something that she can do and then it's sometimes it, it, she talks about it where it's really just like a bloodlust that she has that she feels like she needs to do this like she won't be sated until he's dead it's an interesting way she pings back and forth about talking about it always with the guise of i'm gonna kill him but the reasons her motivation seem to change have you picked up on that or does she seem pretty consistent in how she talks about it to you it's one thing to sort of have him want to be dead and gone and so you just experience that as almost like a magic trick like he's just disappeared from my life okay but the way that she's talking about it now this is more vengeful this is more i want to see the breath leave his body that's a torturous type talk that is very different than just i want him to be magically out of my life it 
feels way more <laughs> ghouly to me. It's the difference between the Corleone saying it's just business versus Sonny Corleone sometimes saying, you know, like, I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his kids dead. <laughs> you know, like one of those. I winced a little bit about that. I've seen someone die before. I, I think you've seen someone die before. When she was talking about that, I, I was like, oh, man, I don't, you know, this isn't at all the sitcom side of things. You know, like we are talking about life and death in a much more serious way. It's the best possible revenge fantasy death that she can imagine, which in practice will never, ever play out that way. Uh, on the other side of that, what did you think of Patty's uh, rationalization for not going through with it? A, you got to make sure that the pills are enough because he's going to be pissed if you don't actually kill him when he wakes up the next morning. And two, then she makes kind of the plea. You're not just going to kill him and put yourself in danger. If you kill him, especially based on where we are now, I'm in danger. I'm the one with a motive for it. Yes, I think it was a good reminder that the women in the storyline have consequences. And to remember that just because you figuratively pull the trigger on this plan, you have to remember what the steps are. Are going to be after that. It didn't occur to me that it wouldn't work until she said he is a big tank of a guy and he really can take a lot. So what if it doesn't work? My head went to a different place. My head went to like, what if he's like kind of like incapacitated or somehow like damaged in some way, like has brain damage or something. And I was thinking like, oh God, Allison, like you you could be signing up for a, a way worse world than you think here. And then the entire part where weaving in Patty with the drugs, I mean, this is a very smart storyline where it's true that she would be looked at and the very public grudge and the way that Kevin's such a big mouth, everybody would be able to say, even even Patty, the new Patty would be able to say, that's the woman that he is so angry at. She's also the woman who everyone's thinking has pills. So let's all look at her. Which is a piece of information, as far as we know, Allison doesn't have. Patty is is being very close to the vest with how much heat the law is to her. I think this is the first time she spells it out when she says that Detective Ridgeway is hanging around. You know, this is the first time that she's really adding the pieces together for for Allison, I think. Allison gathers her stuff, says it's going to be fine, leaves. Patty's left there looking very stricken. You know, it's it, it was funny to me because it was almost like the reverse of the story Allison sold Patty originally to go get the drugs. You know, life is, you know, imitating fiction here where Patty's actually living the story a bit that Allison made up. But Allison's not willing to give her the pills right there and then. Do you judge Allison a little bit there? Well, first of all, I thought Allison would call her out on that because it was like the same story. I thought she'd be like, sure, you have a guy like, OK, like as if she was ribbing her, like as if she was saying, I have a big guy and he's chasing me as if he w- she was, you know, making fun of Allison's story and, and trying to be like, see how stupid this is, you know, basically. When she picked up the pills, I was surprised because she kind of snatches them and it really does end the conversation very quickly in a way that made me feel like, okay, Allison, she's she's got stuff going on in this episode that where she is like making these snap decisions, even more than impulsively, she's like 
ending conversations, walking away from things, like doing things in a way that's just, it's decisive, but it is like where you're left like standing there. <laughs> everyone's doing that like I like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Like, did everyone just see what she did? Like, what what is going on here? There are some mixed messages in there, though, which left me with the question of how much of Patty's plea for Allison to hand over the pills. And again, her being shocked that she's still carrying them around, that she still has them and is carrying them around. Again, another aspect of Patty doesn't take Allison seriously up until this point. The shock on her face, she had to have seen them grab the pills. They weren't hiding the pills in the car when the cops pulled them over. So this idea that she would still have them, really interesting. Again, Patty doesn't take isn't taking Allison seriously at all. Not yet. Not until I don't think right now. I don't think most people would when it comes to actually killing someone. There's a lot, a lot of spouses who have said, I want to kill my spouse, whomever it is, girl or guy. I want to kill them. I'm so angry. I want to kill them. And people say that, but, you know, they don't do it. It's just common enough to be like, oh, you're just mad and just kind of like let it go. I think that it would be surprising to see them walking around with the weapon they say they're going to use. Given that, and I think after she sees that she's still carrying around these pills and, and how determined the look, the, the fire in Allison's eyes, how much of her plea for Allison to hand over the pills is really about needing the pills to get Nick off of her back because one bottle of pills doesn't really seem like enough for that versus Patty just trying a different angle to convince Allison not to actually go through with it. I think Patty's desperation is not well seen in in that interaction but i think that the entire situation with kurt which i want to talk about really shows how much she is feeling frightened and wanting that stable quiet life if she's willing to go run to kurt and say like yes this is what i want i want solid i want steady i want this forever okay she really is scared because she's willing to go get engaged <laughs> you know this this is really about that in a lot of ways in order to to try to get out of this situation <laughs> the way she just uh, describes him you're solid steady that's what i want forever I mean, what a sexy appeal to make to him. You're solid and steady. It's like watching white paint dry on the wall. That's what I need, big guy. I mean, but she kind of does, though. I think she's actually being a little bit sincere there, though. I think that's what a lot of people sell to their prospective spouse, man or woman. I'm solid. I have a good job. I'm going to be steady. I'm going to be there every day. I mean, it's not fireworks, but I think there's plenty of marriages built just on that idea. It made me, I was making a connection between what Patty was trying to say to Kurt here and what Kurt seemingly offers Patty. And I was drawing a line there between what Sam th seems to think Allison is in his head. Because again, this week we had him talking to her about how she's not impulsive. The, the, the Allison in Sam's head is a Kurt, is a very reliable, thinks through everything kind of person. And it makes me wonder if Sam is looking for a little bit of a Kurt in Allison. Mm, that definitely could be. I mean, there's a lot going on with those two. Let's stick over with Kurt and Patty for just a second, yes. because I I do want to talk about the conversation prior to this where, you know, Kurt comes over to 
to basically, you know, confront Patty and say, what's going on? And man, the realization that they have such a calculated life that it's a Tuesday and they don't normally see each other on Tuesdays and that whole thing, like it it was making my heart hurt. (laughs) What did you feel when Kurt is trying to sell this idea of normalcy to Patty and that this is what we have to do and and we want to be normal, what normal people do? Man, it's complicated because there's a part of me, not that I necessarily agree with him or disagree with him, but there's a part of me that feels for Kurt that three years and the idea of standing still, like this idea of where is our relationship going? I appreciate that kind of concept, but I think that says more about the lack of communication in their relationship that he doesn't know where they're going after three years, either him being obtuse to what their relationship actually is or just him and Patty never talking about it. But he kind of ultimatums her. I'm not a fan of ultimatums. I feel like people who make ultimatums should probably always lose them because I think that's a shitty thing to do to the person you're making the ultimatum to. I wasn't a fan of him kind of attacking what is normal. And I'm happy that Patty stuck up for herself here. It made me feel proud of Patty and 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 give voice to that whole idea that there is no normal. There is no normal. I mean, that's a silly way to think of it because, you know, certainly many people live together without ever getting married and have great relationships and are completely content. Kurt seems to think that this is the way that's going to get to her because how it speaks to how much he doesn't know her. Trying to sell normal to her feels like, Kurt, you are so... What about Patty says, I want to be normal? Like, she wants to be unique. There's an odd, an odd side benefit, at least to Kurt anyway, of Kevin ratting her out is that... Oh, my God. He realizes he actually doesn't know her. And now, again, Kurt, you are willfully not knowing her. It's the same. You've never. It's the same way you provide in a protein and salad for all of your dinners. You you are just controlling uh, Patty. You're just you treat Patty like you think she should be treated, not any kind of reflection of who she is, nor are you asking Kurt anything. We've seen nothing of Kurt where he actually seems uh interested in knowing about patty he just wants her to execute the things that he wants her to be yeah no you you nailed it on the head right then i mean my heart like must have sped up like triple time whenever kurt said that kevin called to say what kind of woman she was i have never dealt with someone so completely vengeful my whole life that I'm aware. I cannot believe he would contact Kurt, who by all accounts, they don't seem to to uh, like coexist in any kind of Venn diagram where Kevin, you know, runs into Kurt or anything like that. He had to like figure out how to contact Kurt and then like took this argument argument over she didn't bring him a burger. I mean, it's not even an argument. It's just him feeling betrayed. I, I I am at a loss for words at how insane that move was. This show is showing us and it's teaching us what kind of person Kevin McRoberts is. The bad behavior that goes unpunished with Kevin. But, but showing us what kind of person he is. This is a great example of that. And you know what? Shame on us for being surprised that this would happen because anyone who listened to that paralegal story last week that Allison told Patty should not be surprised that this is what this man does. The same guy who would his wife accuse his wife of having an affair with a six year old man and then put 
uh, a boss and then put sugar in his gas tank and get her fired is, of course, going to call the boyfriend of his best friend's little sister who doesn't like him. I mean, Kurt says twice in this episode, calls him a loser or some such in this episode. Like, Kurt doesn't even like Kevin. He thinks he's a buffoon. Apparently, he's been telling Patty to not rot away in Kevin's house for a long time, often, uh, based on their conversation. Um, and yeah, it's this guy has no, there are no bounds to his delusions of what he is owed in this world, to his maliciousness. Have you met anybody like this before? Like this, like, this far that would take it this far no i hope to god i haven't because if someone's doing something that i don't know i am like oh i don't want to think that people like this are this freaking evil i've known some pretty malicious people that have done some things but this is two or three steps above anything i've ever seen ever (laughs) but it kind of goes in hand in hand with again another thing about what we call what we learned about kevin this week when he makes that demand for a demand he demands loyalty to himself and to his marriage Patty breached that loyalty, the loyalty to that church of Kevin. The show is being so consistent with how it writes him. You are either with me, and by with me, I mean subservient to me, or you are against me. You are a mortal enemy that I will devastate from this world. That's how Kevin, that's the only two speeds he has. I will say that we learned of a third speed, though, in this episode. We learned that he can be intimidated. He can be so scared that he does back down. New Patty showed us that there is a particular situation where he won't speak up. When he says, well, who's going to throw Patty out of the group? He doesn't speak up. He doesn't want to do it. I'm interested in the fact that it exposed that he has plenty of fear in him that can be exploited. Kevin is the prototypical bully, someone who sits as high up uh, upon their own pedestal that they've erected to themselves until someone stands up to them. There's a part of Kevin, I am positive, that is a little bit terrified of Patty. For the same reason that he says he likes to cut off her jib and welcomes her back in at the end of the episode, the same thing that attracted him to Patty Melt in the beginning of the episode, the line between admiring that and saying, I want that enforcer on my team, he goes to sleep terrified of that same enforcer turning (laughs) on them every single night. Because ultimately, bullies are piece of shit scaredy cats who just need to be confronted sufficiently and they will defecate themselves and run away. Kevin is no different. It just takes a sufficient amount of standing up to him to, to get there. I worried his arrogance was so high that it would be difficult, though, to get there. Like, I knew his insecurity existed, but I didn't know if his just, like, untouchability factor was so far through the roof that he wouldn't be scared, that it would be difficult to get him to the point because he just wouldn't accept that someone could be that scary. So I was happy, though. It's all exposed. This is important, I think. It is. It's very. Because I think that this could definitely impact the plan going forward. I think this is the first really demonstrable evidence of Kevin getting some kind of consequence or punishment for his bad behavior. The result of treating Patty so shitty and quote-unquote excommunicating her at the beginning of the episode really bites him in the ass in a way we've never seen. Uh, I mean, held hostage by uh, the tooth, uh, the knife 
toothpick wielding uh, Patty <laughs> that he needs Patty, literally the old Patty, to come save him. Uh, I think this is the first time that we've ever really seen a true consequence for him. Big first step towards those bleeding of the worlds. I am hoping that they take this little nugget and run with it <laughs> because this is what I want to see more of. One thing about Pat and Kurt, uh, Patty and Kurt and their conversation was, again, being smarter than Kevin in a real world way actually unravels her lie, her and Allison's lie about what they were doing. He wasn't just, you know, he he wasn't satisfied enough to know about the distances of Top Burgers from home. He actually looked into the Beauty Expo and all that. But he drops a little nugget that Detective Ridgeway had been by the pharmacy asking about Patty. Not just asking Patty for questions, but is looking at Patty, is asking about Patty behind Patty's back. What's your take on Detective Ridgeway and Patty here? We They have several interactions. It's important that they made Detective Ridgeway a woman because I think that there is that whole element of, yes, women helping women, but also women perhaps not underestimating other women so much. You know, while we had the other police officers who were willing to let Allison and Patty go with no big deal, in this case, a woman police officer has a lot more questions and isn't so easy to be shaken. I am intrigued. I also, what was that entire line about I have a work function on Friday and I want you to come with me and everything what was that it's gonna be fun what was that what even what was i see i didn't know what i was hearing i'm like what am i supposed to be gleaning from this i mean if you take out the aspect where patty seems to be the subject of an of a drug investigation a drug dealing investigation it kind of sounded like she asked her out on a date to me i thought so too but then i said that but then i thought the same thing i was like but wait you know surely it has to do with something having to do with drugs maybe they're gonna do like a like a stakeout or something and she wants her to see some of these other drug people or something like sort of like be a part of like do you, you know we know what you're up to see these other people like if they if she makes her like go sit out and like watch cindy kind of thing you know then yeah maybe she'll feel like oh my god i know these people you know i mean detective ridgeway such a such a uh, an enigma at this point though the few times that we've seen her she's given off almost different vibes in every single interaction we've seen her she seemingly asks patty out on a date here maybe in this one but we know that she's looking at patty and asking questions about her behind her back at the pharmacy to kurt but then she's swinging by the house and looking at her books and complimenting on her how much she reads and memoir of a geisha and all of that but at the same time she's swinging by nick's house and she knows nick and if you listen to the tone she has when she asks nick if he's keeping his nose clean it's not like a cop saying i it'll only be a couple more days i know before i'm arresting you again it was almost like a parent asking like a wayward child like are you being good it, it did have that exact uptone where she was like, mm, it did have that. So maybe she maybe she's a cop who looks the other way for low level stuff in, in chasing the bigger stuff to be efficient in her job. Maybe- I like that you're saying that because that implies that perhaps that it's not going to be a Cindy that they look out for. Maybe it is going to be a moment where she's going to proposition her to give up bigger fish, maybe. to have to go in, maybe wear a wire or do something like that. Like it makes sense that. Maybe she's going to offer her some sort of deal, like cooperate and we won't keep looking into you. I mean, doesn't that make sense as to like next steps for them? It for sure does. I mean, if she's looked into Patty enough 
and has a sense of, you know, you know how I feel about never asking questions you don't know the answer to, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I think a lot of cops, especially detectives, try and probably operate that way just because they, they're trying to gauge a reaction of someone that they're looking at. You know, Patty says, you know, trying being all nervous and stuff in the salon says, oh, well, you know, I think it probably ended at Fiori's. And Tammy goes, oh, no, no, no. I've definitely got a lead beyond or higher than Fiori's. Maybe she does know someone bigger. Maybe she does need to use Patty. Maybe she knows Patty's involvement, but is willing to, yeah, use her to go catch that bigger fish. Her saying that I've got a bigger lead is interesting because is she talking about Patty to Patty? Or, or is, is she actually talking about someone else that we don't know? A new, a new, another player, because we didn't know about Nick before this episode. I don't know, but I'm fascinated though. I hope they pick up on it next week because I need to know where Tammy, uh, Detective Ridgeway, wants to take Patty. Very much. I want to know. <laughs> if we could jump to the end of the episode when we meet Nick again, I think this was the most menacing he really was because Patty gives him a little bit of sass. He says something along the lines of, this is not an exact quote, but says something basically like, you must not have heard of me if you're taking that if you're taking that tone with me. Patty backtracks really quickly as Patty does and says, oh, no, she's heard of him. It felt a little custy portion, didn't it? Where she was like faking to know more than she did. <laughs> yes. So it felt very custy. I, I thought that's what was happening there. Like where she was being like, no, 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 I know. Because she never wants to be not in the know, right? You don't right. want to admit that you don't know what's going on. Super interesting that they brought in that whole Cindy portion, right? Where it was like, what did you think? Cindy was using like two, two big two bottles, bottles of pills. Two bottles a week, yeah. But we had said that. We were like, what is going on with Patty? Like, what is she not noticing that this one woman is clearly like wildly addicted to these drugs so we were on to something we just didn't guess that cindy was being you know a mule for the next person is patty being just really sweet here and i mean when she says to nick so impotently she says well she's got knee issues i all i said it's even in my notes i wrote oh patty come on (laughs) but we talked a lot about it patty didn't get into this she really honestly didn't get into this to become a walter white she's not looking to break bad you know making money was really not her primary concern she was really trying to connect people who were in pain to pills that she found a way to get access to there is a sweetness about why she became a drug dealer but at some point is she being willfully naive is she being a little bit of an allison is she not looking at the world around her so that she doesn't really have to face the consequences of what she's doing here i mean when nick says half of my half of my friends buy through you that's a shocking figure she's a major drug dealer uh, of this town a major drug dealer it seems that's big news that's big news to us i'm certainly i'm sure that's big news to patty but should she have seen it coming i don't know the same words were being used about her relationship with kevin Mm -hmm. like how can you not see what's happening here how can you not absorb what he's doing what is your deal it's you know she has a way about her that is you know she just wants everything to stay the same she doesn't want anything to change she's not going to be the one to call out a situation you know and that's kind of how she copes i I don't know her exact deal except for we're gonna have to go back to that neil patty backstory that they had no parenting that they have had very little you know understanding of how healthy relationships look like i'm gonna give her the benefit of the doubt that she didn't 
understand what was happening here, that she just got lost in the the shuffle of it all. Here's my issue. She now knows that she has a that she is a large cog in the drug trade of this town. If she didn't know or didn't have an inkling for whatever reason, benefit of the, benefit of the doubt or otherwise before this episode, she can have no doubt about it now after hearing Nick talk to her. If you can't dry up the supply like you did and not answer to your real customers. Again, super menacing, but also true. So when she says things like, of course, I've heard of you or like, I've heard of you when I don't, I think you're right. I think she was being a little custy. I don't think she had really heard of him. I think she's trying to act tough. I think she's trying to act like she knows more than she does. My worry is because we saw her doing that with Allison last week, right? All the times like, this is how it goes, Allison. This is what it, like, you go into the woods with someone with Red Rooster. Yeah, you do it that. Definitely uh, backfires. Right. Well, the problem is. It's it's one thing to act like you know more than you know about a trivia, right? Or about, you know, your resume is padded. It's a whole other level when you start acting like you know a lot more than you actually do about drug trading and drug dealing. These are right. these are criminals. These are people with weapons. These are violent people. These are people that are going to go hurt you if you don't have their product to sell. I worry about Patty and her effort to not look foolish to not look stupid or not look like she knows what's going on, her making attempts to seem tough is going to backfire her in a very painful kind of way. That someone's going to be like, well, you're like this big freaking Walter White deal here in Massachusetts. Keep telling people you know what's going on. Well, now you got to pay the piper, you know, know it all. Whereas someone who is more like takes the position of, I only got into this to help Cindy because of her stupid knees. I wish you would have just said that, honestly. I wish you would have said, right. honestly, I just got involved to help Cindy with her knees and I don't know what has happened here. You know, things just have like gotten out of control. I wish he had just said that. And that actually, it would have felt more realistic, though, don't you think? I mean, I understand this is the bully insecurity game, right? And she is part bully. I think Allison would have said that because there is a lack of seeming to need tough outwardly in Allison where she would just blurt out. I, I was just trying to help, you know, Cindy with her knees. Right. Patty has an established character where she says things to make her look like she is in the dough and knows what's going on when she doesn't really have any idea of what's going on. The, the, the Her insecurity of looking dumb, foolish, or not in the know, I think, would prevent her from saying that. Now with this idea that Detective Ridgeway is maybe lining Patty up to become some kind of informant, Allison and Patty are hatching this plan to maybe make Kevin the drug dealer fall guy for the town, which hopefully maybe ends in a big and violent death for him. <laughs> I, it feels like we're kind of heading. I mean, there's only three episodes left, right? There's only three episodes yeah. left of the season. I feel like we're heading to some, some kind of major plot point. What do you think of the idea that Allison and Patty hatch here to make Kevin the, the drug pin of the town, not Allison and not Patty? For the first time in the show, I felt like this was something that I've seen before in a way that it wasn't maybe purposeful. So in all the rest of them, I was like, okay, this is a trope. Okay, I've seen this before. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this was written to be a trope and we're supposed to recognize it. And it's like, duh, duh, you guys. I mean, don't you recognize this from 10 other stories? But I think it's being written straightforward where this is the storyline for Patty and Allison and they are going to try to do this. 
it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, of course, the way that they intend to. That that hasn't been anything of what's happened yet. At this point, they haven't laid enough groundwork for me that they have enough of an understanding of how to pull one over on Kevin where there's actual consequences. Because we've had zero wins in that department, it feels like, why in the world do you think this is going to happen? Am I just talking around in a circle on that? I mean, I don't think so. I think I think they've shown plenty of instances of having plans and throwing them against the wall. I like the idea that they're trying to work together and they're trying to problem solve. I appreciate the problem solving. Me too, but don't you recognize this? Don't you recognize this plan as like the two of us are in trouble and I did this and you want this guy gone. So let's pin it on this guy and then get him in trouble as like the third party. I have seen this. I don't know if it's Sopranos, but I've seen it in a lot of stories in my mind. It feels like the kind of idea you'd have by being able to then say, I saw it happen in this book, this movie, this TV show one time when uh, Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito decide to crisscross the mother and the ex-wife in uh, Throw Mama from the Train. You know, it's like this idea of, well, I got this idea from a movie. We'll we'll do each other's murders. That way we're not suspects. But so then is this on purpose? Is this is this the show winking at us like you've seen no, this I don't before, think so. like the sitcom tropes are? Or is this like, no, this is legit the plot. This is what they're doing. And we're giving this to you with like complete. We think this is going to work. We think this is good writing. I don't think it's winking at us because narratively it actually solves both of their issues. Yeah, but it just never works. <laughs> you know, none of their plans ever work, ever. So that seems on brand for them. It really does solve both of their issues. It gets Kevin out of the way in a big and violent or drug dealing related death. And it takes the heat off of Patty. I buy it as a narrative plot for them trying to problem solve getting both of their problems done. Because remember, this is the first time that Patty's really had a problem that she's taken to Allison to help yeah. solve with. So it's a whole new dynamic of them both having a problem they're both trying to get rid of. I want to go on the books as this feels too tropey to me. And I've seen it too many times. I, I'm going to hold out. I'm, I love I'm, it. I want to be it. on this in the spreadsheet as my eye is twitching like this. This feels too obvious and too too many other stories have used this so something's awry narratively it makes sense to them to try and do this i don't think it's going to work that's why i don't have a problem with it narratively because again none of their plans work but if it turns out that you're right and it's the show is winking at us then i love that too Show me, you know, show me how you're skewering it and how you're dismantling this kind of trope. Because you know why? Because it's the way a man would get rid of the problem. That's why it's bothering me. This isn't the way women deal with a problem. The whole, you know, a, a man uses a gun or a knife or something to kill someone, but a woman uses poison. So the so the drugs totally make sense. That's a woman way of getting rid of a problem. And this situation, this framing someone else and doing this whole thing, this is a man's way of getting rid of a problem. And I think I want to see what the woman's way is and I want it to be successful. But this but it this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like the way that women would think. I know that sounds weird and, and everyone can yell at me about genders, but Oh, for sure. Ladies. 
does it make sense though then that it's patty who suggests it though patty has more of a guy way of thinking about problems though. sort of but she but it's custy it's talking about something she doesn't really know about sure but again all the more reason that that's on brand though right isn't that all the more reason for it to be on brand because- yeah but it makes yet yeah, no a thousand percent okay i think i think we're good i think i get this i think i understand right. it and, and I'm, I'm going forward with this one that like okay i think they're presenting a guy's version of an answer to this and i think this isn't okay i'm good with it so any other predictions moving into this next one i'm again we had said in the last episode that detective ridgeway sticks with us throughout the entire series so we know that this is going to still happen in some way we're going on the record with theories then i i like the informant theory but focusing on Detective Ridgway being kind of like a badass, you know, like straight talker, you know, the way she handles herself, it seems, with everyone saying it's going to be fun to her makes me think back to our discussion about Patty and Allison and Patty turning Kurt down for sex. You know, whether or not there is some latent attraction of Patty to Allison. I got to tell you, a little bit of this, that whole scene at the end of it made me think of that it made me think of that conversation and that maybe we're going to get a little bit of an exploration of patty's sexuality we did get an exploration of sexuality in this one between sam and allison which i know i was i mean i'm glad that it happened i guess it kind of threw me for a loop for a second because i was like what exactly is happening i mean we didn't even get into her quitting her job no. <laughs> she quit her job and that was so dramatic and Impulsive. i appreciated the entire you know setup of d just trying to say women have to take this this is what we have to take every day and this is just the way it is allison just being like done and i'm glad that patty saw it all like that was very cool that she witnessed it all we said last week please show us please don't tell us these stories please let patty witness this stuff please don't let allison come back and say i quit my job so that was amazing did you foresee the sex and then, of course, the offer for a job at Bev's? There's a lot there. I, I was shocked at the uppity bitch comment. I was shocked mm. that, I mean, again, we're, we watch uncensored versions. I don't know if the AMC version is going to have that. But then she call, comes back and calls him a piece of shit. You know, D saying, I got spit on last week. And again, taking the position of you just have to take it like what that's what women are supposed to do is so on brand for D, but it still hurts my heart every single time I see it. But I love that Allison finally had enough and quit her job. But again, it's also Allison being super impulsive, her storming into beds and saying, I'm not wallpaper. And then the clothes start flying off. Super impulsive. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was hot. I was happy. I was into it, but I didn't see it coming because it's unpredictable. This is not predictable behavior. What Allison is doing here you know what is predictable after they have sex and she starts having the freak out about what is she going to do for money yeah you quit your job you don't have you never quit a job without having another job lined up (laughs) you know like that's the predictable thing is okay what are you going to do now what if what if what if sam wasn't in a position to hire you i am worried though because then they go back for round two after he offers her a job these two are going to be working together now and having sex and jen n with two n's is on the scene we saw her in this episode is on the scene what a surprise to see her in that makeup counter I was like, what are you doing? Of course she likes that makeup store. 
Now, as a woman, is that is that a legitimate comment of that foundation looks great on you? Or is that Jen and with two ends just being a bitch? Oh, when she said it's great for under eye circles, that was total shade. I was like, oh, my God, you are trash. Not you that know? you need it. So, so, so shady. Yuck. That's what women do. <laughs> uh, yeah. God, I just want to pull these people across the counter and beat them. They're so nasty. Uh, <laughs> what's your takeaway from Allison taking the lipstick? The the wanting to dig back at the women by snagging the lipstick makes total sense. It's it's our impulsive Allison. The want want that it turns out to be like a color she would never wear is also very on brand. Well, first of all, my head was like, wait, don't throw it out. Give it to Patty. <laughs> Patty oh, would probably yeah. wear that. She absolutely would. Yeah. <laughs> but she didn't even think of that. Also on brand for Allison. Yeah, I mean, just very. I uh, I was literally when she opened it up and I saw the color in the in the window, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's terrible. She hasn't unlocked the code yet to have a win. And that's where I'm like, how are they going to show this win happening? When is this going to happen? Because she's got to start having some little wins, right? Is getting the job and having sex with Sam some wins? Or is it just potential more trouble? I don't know. I, I mean, it, for, for me, that's all potential for trouble, though. So it, it, it all works. It, this episode was so chock full of Allison's little acts of defiance, like taking the hoodie taking the makeup she gives herself such a like a wonderful little knot it was the most alexis rose she's actually looked i think in the series when mm. she gives kind of like a little like she wrinkles her nose and kind of gives a little bop and she almost starts running down the street like a kid she's like skipping yeah. like yeah like a little kid who just got out like, of school early i mean it was these little acts of defiance make her feel so good but they either end up being in regret or they backfire on her so i have no reason to think that this little act of defiance i'm not wallpaper let's fuck twice is not going to backfire on her now that she's working with him now that we know jen with two ends is, is around town you think jen with two ends is going to be cool with allison working at bev's diner sam that's going to come out she's going to come for food at, at bev's diner and she's going to see allison with a smock on and that's going to be an awkward conversation for sam why did she kick her own potted plant what is that about? What is in the morning? You're going to be sad. I don't think Kevin's going to miss the flower pot. You're right. going to miss the flower pot. It's a metaphor, right? She kicked her own flower pot. Mm. Yeah. What, was, was that pretty sexy, though, when the clothes start coming off and uh, she says, I'm not wallpaper where you're like, oh, they're going to do it twice uh it cut away super fast so i was like oh okay they're gonna have sex and then i was like oh they had sex <laughs> yeah. i i thought we were gonna hang out for a little longer it's amc i didn't know i mean hey you got mad men on here i thought we were gonna see more so to yeah. be honest i was actually quite surprised that we just bolted from that scene so I think the only other thing I wanted to bring up and we don't have to talk about it now but I want to I want to note it because this is Put the it on the bulletin board. <laughs> I want to pull it on the board because it came up in this episode and I feel like there were shades of it last week also. This idea of Allison telling Patty and Sam Let's just act stupid because stupid can be fun. Uh, I want to play this audio clip. Now, she says it to Patty early on when Patty says, I'm just going to go eat a big burrito. But I want to play this clip in Bev's diner after their, their post-coital before they have sex the second time right here. Oh, that's nice. I'm sorry. It just, it's complicated. Okay, well, maybe it doesn't have to be. You know, everything's complicated if you overthink it. So maybe instead of just going straight to guilt, you could enjoy being stupid for once. Impulsive. You're giving me lessons on being impulsive? 
Oh, I am totally unpredictable lately. Saying everything is complicated if you overthink it, so just be stupid for once, sounds really deep, but I think is also fraught with illogical, like, potholes. I think this is Allison being Kevin and turning Sam into Allison. No doubt Jen with two ends is going to find out. No doubt she's going to be around. She's going to sniff something out and there'll be consequences for Sam and very likely not so many consequences for Allison, you know, making her the bully, making her the Kevin. That's why she kind of needs a Patty though, right? When she's giving Patty down things that she could go, that they could go do and be stupid with. And Patty just stares at her. What is it? It was shake Mary guys down for free drinks. And go break into the community pool and swim. And swim, right. And Patty looks at her like she's got six heads. Allison needs a little bit more of staring at her with these ideas with six heads and a little bit less Sam. Hey, you want a job? That's not teaching Allison any kind of useful lesson about avoiding these let's just be stupid and damn the consequences moments that she's having. So I don't know. I think we have to this is uh, I think this goes under the column of, you know, what kind of person is Allison that we need to keep an eye on? Everybody needs to be stupid sometimes. and Everybody needs to blow off some steam. There's just having some boundaries there, especially because Sam has not expressed complete dissatisfaction with his marriage and doesn't seem to be wanting to blow his up. I, I worry about that portion. Like, please be silly and, and, and go, you know, getting married guys to buy them drinks. Who cares? Go, go. What's the problem with that? Breaking entry. I don't know. That's probably more borderline on the, uh, no one's getting hurt, right? You're just being silly, but potentially busting up a marriage by having sex with a guy who you know's wife is is around. I mean, th- that whole thing is like a guy who doesn't seem overly dissatisfied in his life or have real any complaints other than she does seem to be a bitch, at least to Allison, but not to him necessarily. She was late to his AA. So we can say that, you know, she she may not be totally nice, but maybe. And, and, and you know what? It really it's not really about her. It's more about putting Sam in that position. The other thing is, that, again, Sam seemingly has an idea idea of Allison in his head that Allison, at least right now, isn't. Sam doesn't really know who he's getting in bed with, uh, you know, metaphorically and literally. That's also a potential problem here, too. And that was spoken to twice, actually, between Sam and then when Patty said, when you asked me to go on that ride with you, I didn't know everything I was getting into. And so you unwillingly put me as an accessory to your murder to Kevin. Okay. I get it. He's a manipulative dick. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know? Yeah. But you do realize that we got pulled over together out of state. We assaulted a trucker together. You made me an accomplice without telling me. If you get caught, I go down too. I'll end up rotting away in prison because you wrote me into this mess. That's the same thing with Sam. You are unwittingly putting me in this bad situation that, I mean, I know, should he know he's in a marriage? Yes, of course. Yes, of course. But you guys get what I mean. Like, just generally, this is like a pulling people down with you. Misery loves company. I'm very much looking forward to next week. This show has been captivating my attention, not just when watching it, but I've been talking about it with everybody. So I'm so excited to see what's going to happen next. And God, we only have three more episodes, Mike. 
it's shocking how fast these eight episodes have gone. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your companion podcast to Kevin Can Fuck Himself. If you wouldn't mind going over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, that would be great. And if while you're there, you could leave us a five-star rating. That would be fantastic so that we don't have to make you a Top Burger, Smash Burger lookalike and crush up pills in it and maybe kill you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.